Hello and welcome to the D&D 420 podcast. This is a show dedicated to helping you become a better dungeon master. I'm your host, Eric M. Hunter, and I am a struggling game master trying to figure out how to tell a better story. Joining me shortly is Jimmy Shields. He is the creator of D&D 420 and an avid D&D fan with over 30 years of experience. In this episode, we dive back into my more fleshed out town uh, that Jim decided just wasn't good enough. And honestly, he was right. And I kind of came to an epiphany from what Jim was saying uh, throughout this episode about how this is just a town. This is not your world. So how many sessions are really going to take place here, which just instills even more thought into what am I really trying to create? Last we left off to the glorious that was me creating this wonderful world to play D&D in. Um, I was told by uh, this gentleman here who's got 30 plus years of experience playing Dungeons and Dragons that I didn't do enough work. Mm-hmm. So I had yeah. to go back yeah, and do more did, work. No, we, no, hey, man, you did a great job. You did a great yeah. job. Yeah. Um, but we wanted a little bit more because uh, I really wanted to flesh it out for two reasons. One, because I know you. And I know that if I poke and prod you, you're going to give me great stuff. And two, because we could stop right here. All you have to do now is really um, like throw in some shops, uh, create that tavern or in. I think you've already done that, though, haven't you? So um, I went back and I started doing things like... Um, because you had mentioned, like, okay, we need to flesh this more out. Like, there needs to be a bar or something that's equivalent to a bar where people go and they congregate and they have a chance to relax and that kind of thing. And it's like, and you need more characters because you need X, Y, Z, and blah, blah, blah. I was like, all right. The landing. All that makes sense. Is that okay. the landing? So, hold on. I'm, I'm jumping in. ahead. Well, I'm happy. Doing, I read your doing, stuff, man. I, li- I like it. We're doing some, we're doing some gun jumping. Um, and I remembered uh, something that we had talked about way, way back, I think, in like season one, where um, everything needs to have a reason. Like there needs to be a point for something. Um, and we were talking about um, the five senses. So it's like, yeah, this looks great, you know, but what does it sound like? Like, what does it feel like when the, like, the wind hits you? Like, does it smell a certain way for whatever reason? So that kind of came back to me. And I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to build these things... That just can't just be a tavern because it's a tavern. Like, it needs to have a story. There needs to be a reason why this is here. So, uh, one of those things goes back to the flora and fauna. And uh, let me pull my notes up one more time. Because apparently I clicked off something else. Um, so, I made it so that the uh, the walkway up to this town or the city or whatever you want to call it is going to be fairly uh, des- uh, desert for the most part. Just... Um, not like sand, but just like coarse ground, cracked earth, um, mud. So it's surrounded kind of by like broken lands, bad lands, desert lands, all that. Right. Okay. Um, and to build more emphasis on the machine um, that I've basically created this whole town around, the closer you get to the town, the closer you get to the cave where the machine is sitting, it becomes more and more vibrant with grass and vines and animals and slugs and insects and that kind of thing to show that there's true energy coming from uh, this machine in case if it hasn't been knocked over your head already. Okay. Um, uh, so I thought, so that builds even more importance to um, the machine. And because of that, I was thinking, all right, well, 
if all of this wildlife is only by this cave in like a couple of, you know, say, 50 to 75 feet away from the, the mouth of the cave, um, there's not going to be a whole lot of animals there because the predators would kill the prey and that kind of thing. So I was like, okay, well, if they're going to, if these original founders uh, were going to settle in this area, they would have had to bring animals with them. So that would mean that cultivating that kind of nature is difficult, um, which would pop up like farmhands and experts and feed stores and that kind of thing. Absolutely. Um, and, and again, and it kind a of place to grow the feed, in. like because if there's only right. a very small area to grow, like how many people can this actually sustain? Do that, you know, and are there other things around? So I mean, this is D and D, so I'm guessing that there are monsters. This actually gives me a very, um, you know, to reference pop culture, a very Mad Max feel. Um, oh, okay. That you're in the middle of this desert, surviving off of uh, the technology, like broken leftover technology. And that, well, we're going to play D&D. We're not just going to be here arguing about the machine. There's going to be probably monsters and things like that. So um, I do get a very distinctly like dystopian, broken future kind of after Renaissance, broken future type thing. Um, so that's really cool, you know, because I've, I've played in a game of yours like that and it was really awesome. So um, yeah. so I'm, I'm really excited cool. to see where this goes. Oh, that's right. You did. D&D, yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that. That yeah. was a fun game. That was fun, yeah. Um, yeah, once you guys figured it out, you're like, you kept hitting it. It was pretty funny. Um, uh, what was I going to say? So anyway, so yeah, so I thought like, the, okay, so that builds more emphasis on the machine and why, you know. And then I was thinking, okay, well, if that's the case, then the more wealthier of the town or the more prosperous or the more um, uh, ones that are held in kind of like high glory would be closer to the mouth of that cave and then the ghettos would kind of be built outwards, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, that does make sense. That's exactly the way it should work. Yeah. Um, so, okay, go keep going. Yeah. You okay. Got, you've got so more. that was the flora and fauna. Uh, and then we needed a place to congregate. And I was thinking, okay, we could always do a bar. There's always a tavern. There's always somewhere you could go. And I was like, I know I could do something different with this. So I came up with the idea that I called the landing uh the and this is just the notes that i wrote to you it says uh this is a long building that is located close to the opening of the mountain to where the machine is so that there shows that it has significant importance to this town um and me- and i got the thing i was like okay well the importance may have changed to what it is now uh from something previously so that's just something else you can discover down the road if we ever get that far um it's the warmest here and has the most foliage for farming uh, the building has many long tables and chairs. It's not exactly ran by anyone in particular. Everyone seems to help out with cleaning and cooking and general maintenance, and it's not really owned by one group or faction. Uh, the landing is mostly frequently uh, frequentedly by the poorest and the most needy of the townspeople, but is sometimes hit by bandits believed to be uh, friends of the new founders, which from previous episode I created these two factions, basically a good and evil, a dark side and a light side. Um, so I thought that this area building this, this kind of building or whatever you want to call it, um, gathering area is so neutral that to the point of like, nobody owns it. It's all ran by the community and nobody really complains. Just like the jobs just get done. And then the reason I thought of that was because that would eliminate, um, a lot of issues for players, 
for like when they come to this town and they're like, well, we don't we don't know where we side of what's going on. Like we just want to go to a neutral area. And this is a, an extremely neutral place to hang out, to gather information, to kind of see the culture of the town, um, to kind of get to know notable names and people uh, that live here and that kind of thing. Because sure. I feel like in previous games that we've played, where it's just like, oh, well, you go to such and such citadel. It's like, all right, well, let's head to the bar. I'm like, all right, well, just so you know, this bar is owned by the king, and the king doesn't like you. So it like you immediately are like, all right, we're at confrontation. Like the the bartender's being an asshole uh, with giving us drinks, or nobody wants to talk to us. Like I feel, as a player, <laughs> I feel like a lot of the time we're kind of just like. At that point in the game as a player, I feel like, all right, we made a mistake. We're not supposed to be here. Where should we be going then? Because obviously he wants us to continue, but we're getting nowhere here. But of course we went to the bar because there's always a bar. Does that make sense? There's always, there's always several. And, yeah. you know, the thing that struck me about the landing, I think that's what pushed this into the Mad Max realm. Because you've got good and evil in this small town because it's truly a small town, right? Yeah, I mean, for all intents and purposes. it's It's got to be because there's very little foliage. The, there's very few animals. They have to survive. And the fact that you have good and evil in this town, and yet they maintain a living. Um, and it's that's not a point of contention. I mean, it is politically and what we're going to do with it and sure. stuff. But the day-to-day activities are still being met because it's survival. We must have food. We must have water. So the upkeep and maintenance, whatever goes on here that's producing food is kind of the neutral portion. So, yeah, you've got these large factions that are good and evil. I really like that. That really gave it that dystopian feel. Like, in spite of that, we're still surviving. Yeah, I think that's um, because... Ultimately, that's what you want, right? That's kind of what you want in a story. Um, mm, that's that's what you want in this one. So yeah, sure, yeah, okay, <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's you know there's so many ways you can go. Um, so yeah, I really liked that. I really liked it a lot, and I'm I'm really interested to see where we're gonna go from here. Uh, do you have a little bit more? I think you came up with another personality and a, a little bit more as well. Oh, yeah. So um, the other thing that you had mentioned was kind of filling out some of the other characters, like who's the protagonists, like right hand man, who's the the general to the colonel or whatever you want to say. Um, so I thought I could. So I created a, a character called Armin Bradshaw. He's the lieutenant of Arth Rapid Peak, who is the um, he's the for, you know, he's the bad guy, I guess you could say. Um, he's the one of the new founders. He's the that's, big baddie, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so he is his lieutenant, so his second. Um, and I made him the complete, uh, like the complete 100% um, version of Arth. So if you thought Arth was bad and brash and unwavering, uh, Armin is 10 times that. Like he thinks that um, they're not doing enough to strike fear into their enemies. Like he wants to create an empire. He wants world domination. He wants nothing unturned. Uh, and he wants to just kill all those who oppose them and create this military state. Um, again, all based with the backing of this machine behind him. So, so yeah, that's that's cool, too, because you've got, you know, Rapid Peak is the more level-headed. Therefore, he's truly the leader. And then you've got your Starscream. Okay, yeah, Transformers reference. But, uh, uh-huh. but, he's, but he's a zealot, and he's really 
um, has a lot of fervor. So that that's that's a great trope. Um, it's really perfect. Um, so you've got a, you've got a lot of great stuff here. The the town is really starting to feel alive already. There's very few things now I have to question about this town, and we could play. So we talked about uh, I think it was in episode one of this quote unquote season. Um, that there's several ways you can build a town and then go from there. And so far, the cool thing is doing it this way. That's what you've done. And we could start playing in maybe a week or so if you tie up a few more loose ends, such as, you know, what is the military or um, what is the town guard or what is, oh, there's the right. police. Are there, are there monks that keep the peace? Are there, is there a religion? You know, there are things like that that we really need. Because we need to know what fighters do here. We need to know what wizards do here. I think I've got a feeling what they're doing. Um, we need to know what what bards are doing and why they exist. We uh, and all of the classes really need to have a place because this is, after all, D and D. So, if you give me a uh, like what the protection is like here, and if you give me those type of those things, I really feel like the town is done. I really feel like it's pretty close to finish and you can always add more in pcs um oh sure. and, and some shops you're gonna need like specific shops as well to to really have a nice um uh, complete feeling town so and the shops are pretty cool so like, like you can do specialty shops or you can do a little bit more generic shops but the the secret to making shops is each one is completely different whether they sell different items or not course they probably will since it's a small town you're not going to have um two general stores more than likely and if you do um how strange is that why you know so but you, you give them a different feel because each shop is as different as its owner as it's um as the person who runs it so what that looks like and you can think of a few little things and you don't need 20 of them you don't need a place to buy rings and a place right. to buy um farming equipment and a place that you just need a few a few that the pcs might even just see and if they go in a couple of little quirks about the shopkeep doesn't need to be a stat block but just things about him um or her so you could be done right there and we can start adventuring however you and i talked about in that first episode that you wanted to do the whole kit and caboodle right oh yeah so we're gonna do that for this town that way we can uh start to go ahead and play if we want to um so you know think about that what is the protection like here what why is there protection here um, i'm sure you've already thought about that um but then we're gonna yeah. start thinking about the rest of your world because now you need more of the world now you need you know who who else is out there where did the players come from if they um if they came here from somewhere else and they're finding this town or if they were born here and they want to get out of this town because it is tiny and that's not much of an adventure it's a great place sure. to start for level one and two um getting caught up in all of the uh all of political hubbub but at some point you're going to want to leave because uh, i'm going to guess that in a tiny little town there's a not a lot of money B, not a lot of power. So by fifth or sixth level, most of the players are probably going to be kicking Arth's ass. Uh, oh, that's a good point. So that's why it's D&D. &D, that's why we adventure. So you want to start putting whatever other settlements or refuges are around here. What else is there? Um, 
And and for that, what I would do is you don't have to do as much as you've done here because you don't know which way they're going to go. If you put 10 points of interest and then you spend as much time going through and doing everything that you've done the three weeks that you've spent on this uh, for each of those, and then they only go to two of them and then the campaign ends, I mean, sure, you've got a lot of stuff for the future, but you really spent a lot sure. of time unnecessarily preparing things that you didn't need ideas that might have been cool somewhere else um so go around think of maybe um interesting concepts or town names or settlement names maybe a couple of npcs with their quirks or motivations not a lot not what you've done here just a few things and what they how they feel about um uh the name this town like i don't even know if this town has a name yet does it uh, I haven't named it. No, you're right. So, well, that's, we're going to put that on this. You're going to need to name it at some point. I know it doesn't matter to you, but it's going to matter to your players. Sure. So, <laughs> so, so, you know, maybe names or just a few little things, a paragraph perhaps at most, um, if they even know about this town where we're going to start our adventuring. Maybe they don't. Maybe um, Maybe they play a smaller part. Maybe they they have something like the machine there. Maybe they have ventilation. Yeah. So I was just thinking that, like, I guess I never thought that this town would just be one point in the game. It wouldn't be the game. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's a very small world. If it is, um, it reminds me very much of how I started the current world that you've played so much in, um, which is Karn. Um, right. I started in a small little town. When I was 17 years old, which was a very long time ago, and it was called Commonplace, um, except for it was far less interesting than this town. Um, and it was meant to feel very common. It was meant to be the kind of place where the players want to break out of their chains and want to go adventuring. And so I put a large metropolis nearby called Serengeth that later on became an enormous hub because the players liked it so much for the rest of the world. Um, and so I really feel like that's what you've got here. I think you've got a wonderful commonplace, um, a wonderful place to call home, and you can do some adventuring here, but the size of it, um, it's a great starting point. But 10th level, the players will have completely run this place. Right. And so there's really, that's not a world, that's a town. So think about things that might be nearby. Some things that I thought of just creatively poking at you is this machine isn't so small that this is it. Maybe a big portion of it's underground. Maybe there are other machines like this. Um, maybe there are pieces of the machine elsewhere that it's been um, pulled apart in many different directions. And that's what makes these other places tick. Uh, you know, there's lots of ways you can go with this that are super cool and really creative and fun. Um, but you'll need a few of those things. Plus, you'll probably need to know something about what else is out there. Because by 15th level, if we're not 500 miles from here, or if we're not at a dragon's lair, or if we're not um, being punished by the gods, um, then it's... It's not a, it's not a, an incredibly exciting game of D and D. Uh, we don't want to just you know spend a hundred sessions in this town because one of my games ends up being somewhere around a hundred sessions, and I'll have I would say anywhere from 
10 to 30 unique locations for something that long. So this one would be, I would think if this is a hometown, this we're going to spend a lot of time in the very beginning here. We'll probably be called back for some reasons. Um, and we may end the game here. We may have like, this is the place where we come back and retire. But I think for you, the cool thing is that some of these unique locations aren't necessarily going to be towns or settlements. Some of them are just going to be interesting um, like landforms or interesting monster areas or uh, uh, like land formations is what I was trying to say, I think, where maybe monsters have called it home because there's for some reason an oasis there or... or um, or just maybe a river that we didn't know existed or, you know, things of that nature where there will be life, where there will be adventuring, where, there, where they could lead to something more important or something different. If the characters came here from somewhere else and they stopped for a while, you know, that's cool too. Where did they come from and why? Why did they leave where they were? How many people were there? Uh, what were they seeking? Did they have something in mind but that's more of a uh like an adventure hook and so we're just going to be thinking about those things because we want to have those adventure hooks we want to make a whole bunch of them we want to have you know, five or ten adventure hooks eventually so think about things now we've got a whole bunch of them in this little town but they're all for low level adventuring because the town is so small um those right. those are things to think about when you're making towns if it's a very small town inevitably or invariably it's going to be kind of poor when you have a hundred gold pieces among a hundred people and somebody's got 10 of them that person's rich if you have a million gold pieces for a hundred people nobody's rich nobody's right. poor it does money doesn't really matter then so you that those are things you want to think about as well like what is the the economy here do they even use money if the town is really that small or do the the um, the the leaders here know about other locations that exist, but don't really talk about it to the other people for fear of them leaving and not running the machine? You know, those are all interesting questions. But um, that would be my challenge for you moving forward: is how do we surround this place? What does it look like within a hundred miles of here? Not only finishing this place off with a few shops and. Um, what is the guard like? Who are they fighting? You know, stuff like that. I mean, it's easy enough to say, well, the guard makes sure that the good versus evil dynamic that I've set up is in order. But who pays them? Sure. You know, are they just, is it a militia? Is this just the townsfolk keeping the richest people from killing one another? Um, so there's there's a lot of big questions that are, that have remained a little unanswered. And it's cool to keep a lot of that stuff to yourself from your away from your players. Like you don't want them to know certain things. I keep a lot of things secret. Um, because as peasants you wouldn't know. Or as an up-and-coming fighter or an apprenticed wizard, you wouldn't really know. That's what intelligence checks are for. That's what knowledge checks are for. And things of that nature to see how much you've heard. But really that's what adventuring is for to find out these great secrets to 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 find out what the great myths are all about we got we're gonna need a few of those as well a few myths a few uh stories 
As yeah, I was going to say, because like, it sounds like, I, and maybe this is just me, but I guess maybe I haven't looking, been looking at it as a fact of like, okay, your players are coming in. What do they see? What are they expecting? What do they interact with? Because to me, I'm like, I'm not thinking of player interaction really at all at this point. Like, I'm just trying to fill this town. And maybe that's what's kind of been maybe yeah. railroading me slash... I've been coming to a dead end on because I'm like, no, this feels great. And it's like, well, I'm not looking at it as I'm just looking at it as somebody who creates a world, not as a I'm a player walking into this created world. Yeah, it's it's um as if you've, you know, really honed in and started painting little tiny things in this great big canvas. And then you haven't stepped back to take a look at the bigger picture. Right. Um, which is OK, because you've got something beautiful doing that. Now think about it from your player's perspective. Think about it if I wrote this and you were coming in as a player making a character and thinking, how does this lend to awesome adventure? Well, it, it's it's I have a lot of questions. I want to know where all the food is. I want to know how that all works. But that's that's short. That's an adventure. That's right. That's one adventure. That's 10, 20 sessions maybe. Yeah, because now I'm thinking like this is just one stop <coughs> from a bigger or this is the begin that this is the very beginning of the game and we're here for three sessions and then we leave that is really what i see it as i I was thinking more you know three to twelve you could run like i just said 10 or 20 sessions here and like really bottle it in but we talked about i think in episode two um not railroading Right, yeah. If you hold people here in this tiny little town, but there's a desert that they could walk through, you know me as a player, the first thing I want to do is walk that desert so I can come back and say I did it. Right. And this is what I found. This is what I've learned. There needs to be things to learn. There needs to be things to find. Unknowns need to be made available to the players. That's the exciting stuff, especially when it's life-altering, especially when, like, you've designed this small, like bottled off area but then when the players come back with a greater truth it's shook so you can prepare for that that's the beauty of designing it ahead of time is now you can prepare for that and have ideas of what you want that post um, information change to be or how you want that to look this might be the type of thing and I did this when I was really young with with uh, commonplace and Serengeth I knew what I wanted the world to look like after the adventure. I didn't. Right. I had no idea it was going to take me twenty plus years to get to that. <laughs> right. Um, so I knew that I wanted my world to have a core where the water was up in the sky. I believe we talked about that a week yeah, or two yeah. ago, where the water is up in the sky and it's enclosing this rock inside of it, where there is no water. It's all land. Um, and now it's broken and messed up and difficult to travel and has pockets of civilizations. But I have this really weird, dirty, dark, gritty world. But I also wanted to have land outside of that where my world looked normal just from the outside looking in. Where on top of that water, there are these um, islands large islands almost continental islands and it looks very much like earth but if you dove down to the bottom of the sea you would hit air and fall through so there was a point 
I had to come up with why does that not happen to everybody? So in the middle of the water, there's a, a floating point where you would drop down to the midpoint of the water and you would just hover there and drown. And so uh, we had joked around that there's probably a lot of dead animals or dead whatever. Yeah. Something feeds on it. So it gave me all these cool ideas for water monsters that hang out there and are the most dangerous things. But I knew that I wanted to collapse those two, two things together eventually. I knew that there was a greater truth that would invariably and inevitably collapse everything down to one, that I would destroy some areas, create new ones, and have two areas that were completely separated, almost different worlds that are now neighbors. Um, I knew that when I was 17. Um, I, 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 I got really good at holding back information and and spoon feeding it to my players so that there were all these secrets that became revealed and all these interesting things that became revealed um, that became fun to chase and find out more and that happened all the way up until you know these past couple of years now you guys have pretty much you and Tommy and Nick and uh, right. I mean you know the whole gang has really seen everything I wrote when I was a young man um, so I challenge you to be thinking on those level where you have layers and, and layers to get to the end of this world. Is this just a story? Is this just a um, is this just a campaign setting or is this a world? Thanks for listening to this episode of the D and D 420 podcast. For everything D and D 420 related, check out dnd420.com. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us there on the website and on YouTube at DND420. Lastly, as always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do that by telling another DM about the show and by visiting us on Apple Podcasts and leaving a rating and review. Thanks for subscribing and being a part of our work here at DND420. We will see you next week.